Hello, Cornerstone family. What a week. Our hearts have been broken after the murder of George Floyd last Monday by four Minneapolis police officers. The protests that have followed have revealed once again how deeply angry people are about racism in America. This week has been a week for all of us to listen to our black brothers and sisters and has prompted repentance among white leaders like me. Trayvon was killed eight years ago, but we said very little. Then in 2014, it was Michael Brown and Ferguson. This time, we stopped and talked about it for a few minutes in a weekend service, but did little in the weeks to follow. That same year, Eric Garner cried out, I can't breathe while being held in a chokehold. Now, I remember being angry at a few policemen, but not in any way taking responsibility for this broken system. In 2016, it was Philando Castile and Alton Sterling. But still, after a brief mention in a worship service, it was business as usual around here. It's as if we were opening our Bibles and yet ignoring one of the key factors in both the Old Testament and New, justice for the oppressed. I see now that of all the mistakes I've made as a pastor, this one rises to the top because I made it over and over again. I realize now that I have failed not only African-Americans in our congregation, we failed everyone by not speaking prophetically on this issue. Cornerstone has hosted 460 weekends since Trayvon was killed. 460 opportunities to confront injustice against black people in America, and we failed. And that's a huge miss for us, a sin. It's time for us to repent, to ask forgiveness from God and from the African-American community. It's time for repentant action as well, to do more than to offer hashtag solidarity or thoughts and prayers. So, as a start, we're going to devote the next five weekend services to the topic of racism. We opening our Bibles and listening not only to our pastors, but also to our own black family members as they tell us their story, at times unpacking pain and righteous anger. Now, our focus will mainly be on the injustice African Americans have had to endure, not because other people of color do not experience racism, but because this is the issue at hand. In the future, we'll broaden the message to include other oppressed people among us. Now, since I'm white, and I've been told that I bear implicit bias, I will be asking respected black Christian leaders, veterans in racial reconciliation, to hold us accountable each weekend as we preach, to preach the whole truth, even when it's ugly, even when we are afraid that we will drive people away. This week, I was comforted by hearing Latasha Morrison, who, uh, a prominent leader in racial rec reconciliation, said, it's okay for us to learn in front of each other. Well, that's comforting for me because I have so much to learn. If I wait until I fully understand how it feels to be black in America, if I wait to speak out on this issue, I wouldn't be ready to say anything about this for a very long time. But it's time for the preachers to preach. So Cornerstone, pray. Pray for an anointing that surpasses our experience as we all learn in front of each other as we join a conversation, as today we join the struggle. Jesus said that loving God and loving our neighbors is the foundation of our faith. Paul wrote that if we don't love each other, it doesn't really matter what else we do. James warned us not to just love in words, but also in actions. The next five weekends are not gonna be easy for any of us, and it's just a start. Those of us who are white will be challenged to listen without speaking, to keep asking questions without offering justifications. You must fight the urge to tune out this message, to quickly say that you're not part of the problem or that the solution is not your responsibility. Those of you who are black will have to trust that we are going to listen this time. I imagine at times we preachers will say it wrong Please be patient with us. And from here on out, let's all hear the prophet Micah when he said, 
these three things are good, to live justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Join with me now in prayer. Father God, we come to you in all humility and with plenty of ignorance. We all come to you from different life experiences with different skin color, with different burdens, different opinions, different pain. We ask you now to walk with us, not only over the next five weeks, but from here on out, as we figure out how to be one body of Christ and how we influence everyone we know in the East Bay to love each other, that we would love one another above anything else. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I've asked Pastor Steve Engel to launch this series to open the scriptures and lay the foundation for what God says and who we could become if we would just love others. Here's Steve. Why didn't you say anything? Well, that's a question I'll never forget. I grew up in the suburbs of San Diego, and there wasn't much racial tension that I saw. But one day during my sophomore year of high school, in the midst of a heated moment on the football field, my best friend was called the N-word by a teammate. It made me feel uncomfortable, but it was absolutely devastating to him. After the exchange, my friend looked over at me with pain and tears in his eyes, wondering why I didn't stand up for someone he knew I loved. Why didn't you say anything? It was my first wake-up call. The moment I knew my friend, my brother, a fellow image-bearer of God, needed more from me. And I know that I've fallen asleep again for reasons I'm just now coming to grips with when it comes to racism. Right now our culture is awakening to patterns of mistreatment and injustice. And this is why we as a church are, are pivoting from the series we were going to do to a series that unpacks something that is necessary and important for the church to talk about. Our, our initial plan was to kick off a study covering resilience in trying times. But in light of the current cultural landscape in our country, that needed to shift. I mean, I had a friend tell me that if we were to move forward with a series on resilience, it would be like passing out self-help books in the middle of a fire. And I totally agree with him. There is a fire burning in our country fueled by racism. So we are going to talk about it. And let me be clear on our goal with this series. Um, our, our goal is to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We are loyal to God above all else. And because of that, this conversation about racism comes out of our loyalty to God above our country, above our politics, and above choosing sides. Let me say that again. This series comes out of our loyalty to God above our country, our politics, and choosing sides. I'm, I'm asking you to join me in the posture I've been trying to take all week one of humble learning and listening. So please don't make this about politics or sides. This is so much bigger than any of, that, any of those things. And it shouldn't be co-opted by those things. Let's all put our gospel lens on because this conversation about racism is centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I also believe that for too long we have asked our black brothers and sisters, we have asked people of color, to solve our problem of racism for us. And that needs to change. And when I ask my black friends and family members what role I should play, what I hear is, go talk to your church. Go talk to your family. So here I am, 
And to be honest with you, I feel some combination of hope, fear, anger, and insignificance as I've prepared to say the words I'm going to say. Over the next few weeks, you'll see a bunch of different faces sharing their experiences and learnings. What you're going to hear from your white leaders is a mix of repentance for being sinfully late to this conversation and learning out loud about the role we have played, both personally and systemically, in perpetuating racism. White people have a role to play in learning and repenting and lining up behind the black leaders who have been leading this movement. So while it may seem weird that the first face you see is a white one, Please don't see this as me showing up with the answers. I know I won't say all the right things, and for that I apologize. But I now know that the fear of saying the wrong thing is not an excuse for silence. I'm also aware that this will cause discomfort for many of us, and even prompt disagreement in some of us. But I want us to, to all be very clear. This is a gospel-centered conversation, and you would have an extremely difficult time convincing me that justice for the oppressed is not a major theme throughout the Old and New Testament. I mean, throughout the Bible, oppressors are called out, cursed, and crushed by God. Open any book within this collection of books, and you will consistently find the theme of justice for the oppressed. Jesus is against oppression. He is against anything that stands in the way of the diversity that God created. He is against those with power, wielding their power over those without. A couple years ago, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, tweeted something that really resonated with me. He said, when people ask me, is this a social justice church? I respond by saying, that's like saying, is this a book library or a food grocery store? We are a church, and because we follow Jesus, we are called, among other things, to pursue justice. And this is why racism and racial reconciliation has been a conversation at Cornerstone. But I have to confess to you, and personally repent, that it hasn't been more of a conversation or more than a conversation. We should have been proactive. We shouldn't be having to play catch up here. But that's where we are. And what's going on in our country when it comes to racism is our wake-up call. When we realize and recognize that the world needs more from the church. As Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil writes, it's time for the followers of Jesus to embark on the prophetic journey that leads to reconciliation and transformation around the world. It is time for the church, for you and for me, to listen and learn. So as a leader in this church, and as a church, we apologize and repent. Uh, up to this point, our church has missed the mark here. The universal church, the big C church, has missed the mark here. I feel the same way today that Dr. King felt almost 60 years ago. I love the church. How could I do otherwise? I'm in the rather unique position of being the son and the grandson of preachers. Yes, I see the church as the body of Christ, but oh, how we have blemished and scarred that body through social neglect and through fear of being nonconformists. You know, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that, that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contests. 
but things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain, uncertain sound. So often it is, it is an arch defender of the status quo, far from being disturbed by the presence of the church. The power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 21st century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. You know, those were the words written on April 16th of 1963 from a jail cell, uh, jail cell in Birmingham. And I agree with everything Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said. And what he saw in 1963 is what I still see in many ways in 2020. Throughout this series, we're going to be unpacking a lot. And this is just week one. And I want to ask you, to please be intentional about joining us each week of this series. I also want to ask that if you are a person of color, or if you are a, a person who is passionate about this topic and you've thought about it, and you have insight to share and direction for us to take into consideration, please let us know. But if you haven't thought a lot of time thinking about racism, or you already think you're going to disagree with what we say, or if you're tempted to view this through a political lens and not a gospel lens, or, or you want to associate it with a movement you don't agree with, then what I want to ask you to do today and throughout this series is to open your heart to learning what God might be speaking to you before you speak. I'm joining you in taking that posture of learning right now. My heart is opening to so much. And maybe like me, you feel or have felt like racism doesn't hit that close to home for you. I know I've, I've used my relationships to explain away some of my inherent racism. My best friend in high school was black. I have black friends. My sister's husband is black. My wife's brother is black. So there can't be anything in me that's racist. But here's the reality. Racism is still a thing and it infects all of us. It infects me. We'll unpack more of this as we go throughout this series through a look at the history and progression of racism through, through data and through the experiences of different people within our church that you'll be hearing from. But for the sake of setting the, the groundwork of this series, I think it's helpful for all of us to begin with Scripture. Actually, the beginning of Scripture. Go ahead and, go ahead and open your Bibles or, or Bible apps to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to start right in verse 27. Genesis 1, 27. Here's what we read. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And this is the first time we read about something many of us have heard. God created human beings in His image. Imago Dei, the image of God. That each and every single human being is an image bearer of the divine. But let's not miss the implications of verse 28. There's a lot of significance in this command that Jesus gave. He said, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. And let's think about this. The only way to accomplish this command is for human beings to procreate and procreate and procreate. And as the human race multiplies, it would only make sense that they would need more space. And the only way to get more space is to move out into different places. But when you move into different places, you experience different conditions. Like, like when my family moved from Indiana to Phoenix to San Diego, 
we experience different climates in all those places. And different, different climates produce different lifestyles and diets and processes. I mean, I can tell you firsthand that the corn in Indiana is better than the corn in Phoenix. And I know this sounds like blasphemy to some of you, but the corn in Indiana is even better than the corn in Brentwood. I'm sorry, I have a responsibility to preach the truth. Right, back, to the, back to the early humans. You know, things would be different for them in these different contexts. And, and God knew this. His command to fill the earth would mean there are differences between his people. Differences to be acknowledged and celebrated. Food, clothing, words, songs, and preferences. Diversity was part of God's plan all along. And I believe it would be foolish to think that one culture and one set of preferences would accurately or adequately reflect the beauty of an infinite God. Differences are divine design. This is why it's important for us to stop saying things like, I don't see color. And I know that that comes from a great place. I know those words are rooted in the intention of kindness. But those words minimize the differences of those who are so proud to represent them, be it a different skin color, ethnicity, or culture. Okay, let's, let's turn back to Scripture. Um, after the command in Genesis 1, uh, all the procreating and moving into different spaces was going pretty well, except for the whole fall of humanity thing that came about in Genesis chapter 3 that produced the sickness of sin that we're seeing the symptoms of throughout our country today. And then as you go through Genesis, there's some great stories and great um, things to learn about that are going on. And, and then you get to Genesis 11. Let's read Genesis 11, 1 through 9 together. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and, set, and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of, of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Otherwise, we will fill the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth. The Lord filled the earth. And they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. As Dr. Salter McNeil explains in her, in her book, Roadmap to Reconciliation, which is a great book and I highly recommend it. When we first read this, it may feel like God is trying to limit human progress. Or maybe it's providing a story that explains how humankind developed different languages. And some may even go as far as to say that, that diversity seems like a punishment from God based on what we read here. But if we take Genesis 1 into consideration... Any of these thoughts are a superficial understanding of Genesis 11. Because what we see in these nine verses is that this people group decided to stop moving out into different spaces. They wanted to move up, not out, like God originally commanded. They weren't following God's command to fill the earth. They stopped spreading His imago day. Instead, they chose to to disregard the diversifying process God directed and decided to hold fast to their preferences and their own homogenous way of living. And how did God respond? He confused their language and scattered them all over the earth. God still wanted to fulfill His original purpose for humanity. But, but the sin nature of human beings was and is constantly challenging this command. And, and to take this concept further, in order to maintain the, the status quo of your culture, you have to protect your culture. And how that manifests itself is through the diminishment, demeaning, and threatening of another culture. 
And we see this throughout, throughout Scripture, the Israelites and the Egyptians, the Israelites and the Babylonians, the Persians, the Hellenistic Greeks, and then during Jesus' day, the Israelites and the Romans. All these empires and, and systems sought to, to protect their status quo through oppressing and belittling another culture. You're not like us, so you either become like us or you suffer the consequences. And here's what's interesting. We still have that same inherent desire today. We want to build our towers. We have a desire for harmony with people who have the same preferences as we do. We like people who are like us. We don't like to be different. We get uncomfortable with differences. So either you become like us or suffer the consequences. I mean, honestly, we don't even like when our, when our preferences for what church should look like gets altered a bit. Anytime we change up the music style at Cornerstone, I hear about it. Because it's not how it used to be, and I liked how it used to be. But this issue manifests itself in bigger ways within the church. Across America, statistically, we don't even like worshiping with people who are different. Today, 81% of America's Protestant churches are composed of one predominant racial group. I mean, Dr. King's statement still holds true. Sunday morning worship services are the most segregated place in America. Now let me ask you a personal question. When in your past have you felt uncomfortable with an aspect of another culture? When have you felt like the, the differences of that culture was threatening to your culture or your preferences? You know, I remember when my family moved to downtown Livermore and, and every weekend the Latino family across the, the block held massive quinceañeras and celebrations, loud music, lots of talking, laughter, and joy. But there were nights when, when the party went a little later than I thought it should and it made me angry. Which, by the way, 20-year-old Steve would be so disappointed in me. I sounded like the, the old, grumpy, stay-off-my-lawn guy in the neighborhood. I, I mean, I was upset because they were being loud past 9 p.m. I remember when I wouldn't even go out until after 9 p.m., and nowadays I'm settling into my nighttime routine at that hour. What have I become? You know, but if I'm being honest, there was a, a part of me that was angry because they were disrupting my peace and my comfort with their cultural expression. The people there did not speak my language. They weren't playing my type of music. Those weren't my preferences, and that's a big reason why I wanted it to stop. There were even some moments where I thought, why can't they just be like me? Now that was not a loving response. It was sinful. I have sin and racism in my heart that I am repenting of. You see, sin causes me and us to view differences as a reason to keep someone distant, to view someone who is not like me as a threat to my comfort and my preferences. This is rooted in sin. And, and, and yes, of course, Jesus atoned for sin. But let's not put that on him and then move on. Let's not just put sin on, on Jesus' shoulders and then go, okay, we're good. Racism is not okay. And we still have a lot of hard work to do moving forward. Because here's what I've come to recognize. And, and scripture backs this 100%. We need our differences. It's what God desired in the beginning and it's what he still desires today. We see the evidence of this in, in Jesus Christ. His life and his ministry were spent with people who were like him and with people who were nothing like him. And he liked all of them and they all liked him. His disciples witnessed this firsthand. And following Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, after Jesus commanded them to go and, and make disciples of all nations, they didn't leave. The disciples stayed in what they knew. They stayed in what was comfortable for them. They, they stayed in Jerus Jerusalem just huddled up, afraid of what might happen to them if they ventured outside. So they waited and they prayed and they appointed new leaders. 
But this was not what Jesus commanded. This is not what love required. In order, for, in order to fulfill what Jesus called them to, they needed to move outside of what was comfortable. And this task that, that Jesus gave them was, was way bigger than anything they could, they could accomplish on their own. I mean, their, their own abilities, their own strength, their own resolve was not going to move the needle for the kingdom of God. And in the book of Acts, we read about the power they received. And go ahead and turn over to Acts 2. This is when, um, last weekend was, was Pentecost Sunday, when the Holy, we, we, we remember when the Holy Spirit ushered in uh, a new day, the, the day that we recognize what the Holy Spirit did a couple thousand years ago. And this is where that story comes from, Acts chapter 2. Start in verse 1. Uh, you can follow along with me in your Bible, or, or this will be up on the screen with me if you want to you follow there. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. You know, unlike Babel, this confusion did not scatter people. It brought all of these different cultures together, which is incredible. But as great as Pentecost was, even though they saw this incredible event that we're still celebrating and acknowledging thousands of years later, the disciples still stayed in Jerusalem. They still wanted to experience what they were used to, even after seeing the power of the Spirit. And they eventually ended up being persecuted because they stayed in Jerusalem. It was the persecution that eventually scattered them. And then the good news of Jesus sp spread throughout the nations. I mean, imagine if they had, they had all taken the unity the Spirit gave them and, and, and the power that the Spirit gave them and brought that out to the different cultures on their own volition without having to be forced to do so. Not to get the nations to become like them, but to show the, na the nations how they had become like Him. Marked by love, acceptance, and justice. And maybe that's what's going on right now. Maybe God is forcing us to step outside of what is comfortable for the sake of His unity and His purpose. Because here's the deal. God desires the church to be a community of people from every tribe and nation, unified by Christ exactly as He originally intended. This is God's mission that we are a part of and that we need to move forward. Differences should not create distance. Followers of Jesus are unified in God because we know that differences are divine design. And this is why I'm repenting. And repentance in the New Testament means to change your mind. And in the Old Testament, repentance means to change direction. So if our differences are creating distance, we repent and turn toward our brothers and sisters who are in anguish. In my repentance, I'm turning toward people of color to listen and learn of their pain. As followers of Jesus Christ, led by the Holy Spirit, we are called to be peacemakers. And the way that Dr. King defined peace on this issue was not the absence of conflict, but the presence of justice. Pursuing justice is making peace. As followers of Jesus Christ, we call out evil when we see it. As followers of Jesus Christ, we love our neighbors as Jesus defined neighbor. As followers of Jesus Christ, we strive for unity, justice, and reconciliation for all people. This is who we are. This is what we are for. But we can't do this on our own. If we're going to move outside of what is safe and comfortable for us, if we're going to turn from our own preferences or even the lens through which we view our lives and the lives of those around us, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us and empower us. So what do we do right now? We've spoken a lot about this through a biblical lens. But let me be clear. Racism is alive and well in 2020, right here in our own community. Let's not beat around the bush here. 
Racism, whether it is manifested in extreme, gruesome ways like we saw with George Floyd, or in quieter, more insidious ways, it's all evil. It has nothing to do with our Jesus. Over the next few weeks, we're going to, to dive deeper into some of those quieter systemic ways that, that racism has infected us. But if you're watching this and you're black, please hear these words. Your life matters to us. We believe that you were made in the image of God and that you are so precious to him. And I know I have so much to learn and we have to do so much better. But I want to start there. For the rest of us, we'll get to some very clear action steps as we move throughout this series. But here's my encouragement for you today. Now is the time to listen and learn. Research and, and study. Read what black leaders and activists have written and are writing. Listen to what people of color are saying right now. Turn toward them. Let your guard down. Remove any defensiveness you may have and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you in justice and reconciliation. You know, content is not difficult to find right now. But if you need some help or some recommendations about what to listen to and learn from, our team has put together some great resources at cornerstoneweb.org slash loveothers. I encourage you to check that out. And as you go through this process or you're trying to figure out how to respond, let's all be sure to ask ourselves, before you do anything, especially if you are unsure of what to say or do, ask, what does love require of you? I believe that today, at the very least, love requires us to exercise great humility as we process and listen together. Like I said, this is, this is week one. We have a long journey ahead of us through this series, but also for the future of our church. You know, on Wednesday morning um, of this week, I sat my seven-year-old son down to talk, and he's been wondering why he's seen Daddy crying so much the last week and a half. And so I started telling my son about racism and the lengths to some, uh, the lengths that some people go to to hurt someone else that. The only reason they're hurting them is because of the, the differences of the color of their skin. That, that the differences have created such distance that it's caused so much hurt and pain that's been intentional in some ways, unintentional in other ways. And I'm just starting to walk my son through these, these things. And then I get to the, to the really painful parts of this. And as I'm talking, my son Jericho, my son Jericho just puts his hands over his ears and starts saying, Daddy, stop. Stop, it's too scary. And I just, I hugged my son and I said, I, I know, but it's important. And the reason I was getting so emotional about it is because I immediately started to think about my nephew, Emery, who was born four months ago. His mom, my sister, is white. His dad, my brother-in-law, is black. And I thought about I thought about the conversations that they're going to have with Emery. I thought about how scary those conversations are going to be. And I thought about how he's not going to be able to put his hands over his ears and say, it's too scary, I can't listen. as a church we will no longer have our hands over our ears we will no longer have our brothers and sisters who experience pain and suffering and oppression asking us why didn't you listen why didn't you say anything why didn't you do anything for as scary as it might be we will listen we will learn we will repent and follow the example of our Messiah, our Rabbi, our Jesus, and ask the Holy Spirit to empower us in God's desire for justice, love, and unity amongst the differences He created. Can you pray with me? Father God, I, 
like I've been saying to our church today, I repent that I've used listening and learning as an excuse for silence for years. That I've worried too much about offending the, the wrong people or haven't had the courage to speak up on issues that I know matter to you. I'm so sorry, God. Father, I ask that I ask that you give us all ears to hear and eyes to see. God, that you give us patience and humility as we go through this series. God, that we would recognize your desire, your longing, your command for justice. And how even the way that you chose to enter the world was not as the majority, but as the minority. You came as an oppressed person to understand the plight of your people. God, let us not lose sight of that. Let us, let us have the, the conversations moving forward that are difficult and uncomfortable. God, let us feel exhausted at the end of the day because this is such hard work, but we're putting in the work to learn. Father God, lead us and guide us. Give us a spirit of courage. And give us a desire to learn. We love you, Father. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Well, we're about to worship together, but um, before we do, I want to ask Taylor to teach us and lead us. I love you guys. In a moment, we're going to worship together and we're going to be singing songs to God. And as we are thinking through the message and thinking through about the things that are going on in this world, you know, there's a lot of things that make us want to lose hope, lose heart and lose courage, but we can't church. And let me tell you why. You see, when all of the things in our world, when, when government, when money, when friends, when family, all these things fail us, the one thing that we can hold on to is hope. Not because of the fact that we have hope in ourselves and what might happen for us in our world, but because we can take hope in a God that has been consistent for thousands of years. A God who has been good to us in the worst of times. A God who has loved us in moments when we couldn't find the strength to love ourselves. So as we sing these words, take courage, my heart. No one can take away my hallelujah. It is only because of the power of Jesus Christ. So I pray that as we sing these songs, they wouldn't just be words. They would permeate our hearts and our souls. And it's okay if you don't have the strength you feel like to worship right now. Just listen to these words and sing along if you can. Or just let them wash over you to remind you of God how good he has been throughout our world. Let's sing. Oh, I can take away my hallelujah. No darkness can contain my hallelujah. Your cross has made I'll see. 
Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you setting aside time to be with us and to talk about this super important topic. I also want to thank you for your generosity. I want to thank you for investing in the kingdom of God and in Cornerstone in particular, because you have allowed us to bring food to people who are hungry, to pay rent for families who couldn't, to do amazing things in the East Bay, because that's what Jesus calls us to do. If you call Cornerstone your church home, I invite you to invest in what God is doing. There's so many different ways to give. You can give online, you can text, you can mail a check in, but I encourage you to join Jesus in what he's doing and how he's using us. It's one of the most fulfilling things you can do as you work out your relationship with Jesus. But before I say goodbye, what I, what I really wanna do is ask you for a favor. Can we sit with the words that Steve shared for the rest of this week? Can we dwell on this issue for a while and not move off too fast? Can we think about what Steve said about the Tower of Babel? Can we think about the words that the Holy Spirit brought to us through Steve about the fact that we were scattered at Babel, but with Pentecost, we were gathered together Different, all kinds of different ethnic Jews were brought together in unity. And then Gentiles, everyone else was added to that because that's the heart of our God. Unity, oneness. Can we sit with that this week? Can we separate, maybe from the news, maybe we have to shut off the news and, and get away from social media, leave our phone in another room and just be alone with Jesus and talk to him and listen to Jesus. Some of us, many of us, are going to have to repent. Many of us are going to have to say, Jesus, I have been that child covering my ears saying, I don't want to hear this. It hurts. It's too painful. It's too personal. It doesn't match what I, what I want to be true. But can we just dwell on this issue and not divert and say, what about this? What about that? But on this issue, can we seek the heart of Jesus and repent and look for justice? Because the truth is, our identity is to be people who fight for justice because that's who Jesus is. If you need a resource, if you need help in this, we would love to be there for you. All you have to do is go to our website and click on the Love Others link, and you're gonna find resources for things to read, things to watch, things to listen to, things to help us align our hearts with Jesus's heart. Let's do that this week and into the future because if we ask for transformation, Jesus will provide it. If we want transformation in our country, in our communities, the church has to lead. That's who we are. I love you guys, praying for us all, and I look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.